Woo! Man, am I glad that you are here. If you are joining us at Riverview via video, we are so glad that you're joining us, man. You guys are the best. We love you guys. Uh, and today we are going to jump in a little bit deeper into this book called Colossians. Now, if you were with us last week, you will remember that we began getting around just two simple words, but two words that are huge, two words that change everything, and, and it's the words in you, right? In you. And, and this, these words, they seem so small, but they literally change the entire God-man relationship. They, they change who you are and what you are and what you can become. Literally, it's Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, you might have been here last week, but we started getting around this idea that in Christ is in you, when you somehow figure out how to invite him into your life, not only does he come into your life, but you're in Christ, and so Christ is in you, and you're in Christ, and, and the whole deal, you, you're, you're in relationship with God, so it's like, you're like in there somewhere, and you're like snug as a bug right there, because you're with God, you're with your creator, you have the opportunity to, to know him. And so this is big because no longer is it just God is with us. He's not just out there somewhere near us, not just watching over us, not just protecting us, but he is now in us. And this is pretty sweet. Y'all with me? This is pretty sweet. This is a good deal because, because it gets even better than this though because not only is Christ with us, he says it is when you have Christ in you, that it is the hope of glory for your life. When you get this thing going on, when somehow you find yourself in Christ and Christ in you and the whole deal is mixed into the Father of heaven, listen, he says, it is the hope of anything good in your life. It is the hope of peace in your life. It is the hope of joy. Right there is the hope of any joy in your life. Right there. Listen, it is the hope of anything that is dead inside of you that you want to come back alive. Right here is where you're gonna find that hope. That, that he's gonna make dead things come back to life because he lives in you. And, and so oftentimes we think that this, this Christian life, right? Because you know that there are certain things that, that God wants from you. My guess is every single person in this room has had things that you, you felt God wanting you to change or to do or to grow in, but, but you just couldn't. Anybody? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? It's true. It's true in your life and it's true in my life that there are these things that God calls us to, but we can't seem to do it on our own. And, and this changes all of that because it, it is impossible to live out the, the, what the life Christ wants for us. It is impossible to live out and become all that God wants you to become without this happening, without Christ coming and taking up residence within you. Because listen, the Bible says that when, when we were born in this world, we were born in, into this thing called sin, right? Y'all, you know this, that the world is a mess. The world's dirty. We talked about this, right? That, that sin is out there, it's everywhere, but it's worse than that. It's in you, in you. And the whole gospel message, the whole gospel story, the whole story of Jesus is, is, is this, is that God comes and he finds you somewhere buried in all the hostilities of the world. And, and, and right here, he says, there's you. <laughs> and it doesn't look exactly like you, but I couldn't find one that looked exactly like you. But this is you. And he says, you're born with sin in you. And remember that whole deal, we don't have time to go through it all, but it's in you, it's around you, it's everywhere. But, but God comes and he begins to change things from the inside out, that he begins to move you from the inside out and, and he puts Christ in you. And there's, right there, there's Christ right here, Christ in 
your bad self right there. And it goes in there and then that gets put in Christ and, and then Christ is put in God because that's, that's where you belong right there. And so this changes everything. This is it. That this is the hope of anything that's good in your life and in my life. And so what we want to do is we want to, we want to grow. We want to take our next steps with God. We don't want to just know about him. We want to know him. We don't want to just have the expectations put on us that we can't live up to. We want to figure out how we're going to grow into those expectations. Am I right? You want to become, my guess is, every single person in this room, you want to become all that God created you to become. We got to figure this out together. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do, uh, if it's okay with you, I know it's not so cool anymore, but we're going to do like an old-fashioned, old-school Bible study. We're just going to start at the beginning of a book, and we're just going to read a whole bunch, and we're going to talk about it as it comes. We're not going to make it up. We're not going to decide where to go. Wherever it goes, we're just going to go. Is that cool with y'all? Is that cool over there on, on video? Okay, because this is very important to us that we know the Word of God, that we get this inside of us, because we got to figure this out. What does it mean to have Christ in you? What does it mean to have this internal modification? Because if we don't get this, man, we're just going to be dead inside. We're just going to be dead inside. And, and so let me just begin by, by reading in the book of Colossians. So if you have a smartphone or if you get an old-fashioned Bible, find the book of Colossians smartphone, just Google it. Colossians chapter 1, it's a miracle. It'll come right up, boom, Right there, all right? I would love for you to follow along. So as you find that, let me begin uh, by opening us in just a word of prayer. We're gonna ask God himself to, to speak to us because you don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from God tonight. So Father in heaven, we take just a moment um, to pause, to remember you. God, we ask that you would speak into this very room tonight, God. As we open your word, as we handle your word, God, I, I pray that it, would, that it would do something deep inside of us. God, that you would stir things in us that need to grow and to, that need to change. God, we, we ask that you would speak to us tonight. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. So, uh, Colossians chapter one. Remember, this is a letter uh, written to a small church in a, in a mid-sized Roman town. Uh, Paul had never been to this church, but he is their pastor, and uh, he loves these people. And the church is like us right now. They're gathered together, waiting to hear what Paul has written to them, and this is how he begins the letter. I'm just going to read the whole kind of introduction section to you. It begins like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So apparently Paul and Timothy were working together. That's a whole different story, but Timothy is sort of like being mentored by Paul, okay? So Paul and Timothy are writing this letter together, and to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Then it says this, verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for, for all of God's people, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in, tr in the true message of the gospel. So he's like, we're hearing all kinds of good things about you and it's all really sweet what we're hearing. We're, we're hearing a whole bunch of good things. But then he says this, um, 
the, the gospel has already come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the entire world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras. He's like, kind of like, you almost think of him as their campus pastor, really. You know, Paul wasn't there on the scene. Paul was working through Epaphras. He was on the scene, grinding it out with the people every day. He was in their community, right? And so, He's our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and, uh, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his, of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Listen, in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, Listen, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So Paul opens this letter just trying to encourage them and kind of lifting them, right? And it's so easy to skip by these little introductions and think, oh, that's really nice. He really likes those people. That's really good. But there's a whole bunch in here that we need to uncover. And so the whole thing begins with Paul um, being told that he is the writer of this. And I, I just want to talk about Paul a little bit. I think there's some stuff uh, in the backdrop here that we need to, uh, to understand because um, unlike today, um, when we write a letter, we tag the name of the person writing the letter where? At the end of the letter. But in ancient days, uh, the, the guy or the girl who would write the letter would actually put their name at the front. They wanted to say right up front, hey, this is who's bringing the goods to you. This is the person who's writing the letter. Now, about Paul, you may, may not know this, but uh, churches like ours, whenever they uh, maybe need to replace the pastor or look for a new pastor, they often form what they call a pastoral search committee. So if y'all ever want to get rid of me, you might want to remember that, okay? Uh, so they form this pastoral search committee, and uh, they'll look for the right person. Well, uh, there is this fictitious letter that, that somebody wrote as a pastor looking uh, to get a job, so they submit this to a pastoral search committee at a church who's looking for a pastor, and the letter goes like this. I just wanna, I just wanna read it to you because I think it's great. It says, I understand your church is looking for a pastor. I should like to submit my application. I am generally considered to be a good preacher. I have been a leader in most of the places where I have served. I have also found time to do some writing on the side. I am over 50 years old, no children, and while my health is not the best, I still manage to get enough work done to please my congregations. But as for a reference, I am somewhat handicapped. I have never really served in any place more than three years, and the churches where I preach have generally been pretty small, even though they, are, they reside in large Roman cities. Uh, some places I've had to leave my ministry because it caused riots and disturbances. Uh, when I stayed, I did not get along too well with the other religious leaders in town. I just thought it was important for you to know, which may influence the kind of references that these places may send you. I have also been threatened several times. I've been physically attacked. I've gone to jail three, maybe four times for expressing my thoughts, right? Uh, you, you will need to know that some men follow me wherever I go, and they're always undermining my work, trying to keep me from doing ministry. Still, I feel sure that I can bring some vitality to your local church. If you can use me, I should sure be pleased if you would consider me. Now, the committee that was receiving this little application, they were like, what does this guy think he is? Why would this guy ever think that he could represent such a great group of people like us? How could this guy have the nerve 
to, to say this. And so one of the committee members goes, well, what's this guy's name? And the, the other guy says, well, I don't even know. He just signed it Paul. Just signed it Paul. Now, if you stop and think about the people that God chooses to use to do great things, it's overwhelming. It blows me away. I mean, to think that God would use somebody like me or somebody like you to do anything in this world, anything great. I want you to think about Paul for a moment. Um, Paul was the least likely candidate for anything great. I mean, if you know his backstory, story, if you know, you know the story of Paul, um, th- this story describes his life. Everywhere he went, he had people talking bad about him. Everywhere he went, there was controversy. Could you imagine Paul on Facebook? I mean, goodness gracious, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's like out of control. He was literally arrested and beaten, caused riots wherever he went to preach. I don't even know we would hire a guy like Paul in our church. But God chooses nobodies like you and me to do something great in this world. And he does it regularly. This is what he does. He chooses nobodies to do something extraordinary if their hearts are fully devoted to him. Let me tell you something. Could you imagine, and I don't pretend that every single person in this room is a Christian. I don't pretend that at all. We understand. We are so glad that you're here if you're not. But for those of you who name the name of Christ in your life, For those of you who would say, yep, 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 that's me. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to do this whole Jesus thing. I'm trying to get this right in my life. Could you imagine with me just for a moment if the people of God in this church simply with all of our garbage, with all of our past, with all of our struggles, with all of that in mind, could you imagine if we simply worked on loving God with all of our heart and loving the world that he loves? Not loving the world, not in that way, but loving the people of this world the way he does. Could you imagine what God would do in this place? Friends, um, we, I don't want to get like, too caught up in this like, opening little uh, section here because, because uh, but, but it says, Paul, by the will of God. Somebody needs to react to that. It says, Paul, and that was enough because people knew who Paul was. And he says, but God, by his will, chose to use him. To me, this is good news. This is really good news for all of us who aren't perfect, for all of us who have a past, all of us who struggle in life. This is really good news. And friends, we should expect something great from God. And we should expect that God would do something great in us and through us in this world. We should expect this because this is what he does. And so... Paul begins by just identifying himself. It's Paul. Hey, it's me. And and then he uses this phrase of identity. He says, I'm an apostle. Did you catch that in there? He goes, I'm an apostle. And what's interesting is other letters that he wrote, he didn't say that phrase. He he would, like for the church in uh, Philippi, the Philippian church, one of the most popular books in the Bible, he, he simply starts, Paul, a servant of Jesus with you. And so it's much more friendly. The opening is much more casual the, uh, because there's a relationship. He spent years in Philippi. And so Paul knew these people and he had credibility with these people. And so what's Paul doing here? He comes along and he says, Paul, an apostle, just by the way, I just thought you should know. Uh, because why? Friends, an apostle was somebody that Jesus himself commissioned to go into the world. So the word apostle literally means the sent ones, those who are sent by God to do God's work. 
And I want you to think about, these are the ones who witnessed the resurrected Christ. They were like, I'm convinced because when you see a dead man walking, you're convinced. And so they go out into the world to share this love. They're called apostles. And so what was Paul doing here by saying, oh, Paul, an apostle. He was powering up a little bit. He, he was saying, I love y'all, but there's some corrections coming. There's some changes that need to happen in our churches. And you need to listen to me. You need to make sure you get some things right. And so Paul is beginning to power it up a little bit and he says this, um, verse two, look at this. To, to, the, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now there's a ton right here in this little verse. Um, Paul calls them holy and faithful brothers and sisters. Pause for a second. How many in this room ever feel too holy? I mean, anybody get it right all the time? You're just walking in perfection and you got it down like to a science. Anybody? I thought so. None of us. And Paul comes on the scene and he begins to give them a new vision for who they are because he's going, hey, hey, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you struggle with and, and I, I get it, but that was all before the Tupperware came. <laughs> he says, because it's different now. He says, there you are in there, and all I'm seeing now is I'm seeing all of your stuff, but I'm seeing it through the Tupperware, and I see God the Father, I see Christ, and then I see you, and I see Christ in you, and that's looking pretty good. And that's looking pretty good. And he begins to change things. He begins to change your identity, and what he's doing is two things here. He's one, he's saying, he says, I know you got your old nature. I mean, who in this room doesn't struggle with wanting to do certain things, but don't end up doing those things, and then you don't want to do other things, but you end up doing the things you don't want to do. Anybody in the room? Hello, right? I mean, this is the conflict that rages in every single one of our souls. And Paul says, God knows this. He's not calling them perfect. He's saying, I look at you different because of Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. It's the hope of anything good in your life. And then he's, he's doing something else here with this. He's, he's beginning to turn the corner because he not only sees us differently, but he's beginning to raise the expectations on us. He's beginning to say, because of this, because of this, what's on the outside needs to start changing as well. What's happening in your little world around you needs to start changing as well. He's beginning to set us up. He's beginning to give a course correction for us. He's saying that this has got to happen. And then he, at the tail end of this, this is so important. He says, oh, by the way, grace and peace to you. Did you catch that in there? So he sets them up and then he says, oh, grace and peace to you. What's interesting is he uses two distinctly different salutations or greetings, right? So in our culture, we're like, hey, man, what up, dog? Right? Well, in Greek culture, they use the word grace all the time. This was a common everyday saying in the Roman cities. Grace to you. In other words, you got leverage with me. Uh, literally, grace means unmerited favor. So they would say, hey, I got your back. I know we had that rough run in a little while ago, but man, we're good now. Grace to you. Right? And so for Christians today, it's not only grace in the sense of forgiveness of sin, but grace is when God gives you his power at your weakest point. You, you get that? He's saying in there, there's grace to you. I know your struggle, but there's grace to you. So he says to the, to the people in this Roman city that had a mixture of Jews and Greeks together, he says in one breath, grace to you. And then in the next breath, he says, shalom. Peace to you, a distinctly Hebrew saying that you would only greet a fellow Hebrew, a Jew. 
So he comes and he, and he switches it up. But pause, let me tell you why. I think Paul was, by combining these two greetings of his day, he was saying the gospel is for everybody. Everybody, nobody is left on the outside of this. Everybody is welcomed, right? Listen, that's why we built that stupid place, Kate and Jim, not just so we can entertain the world, but so that we can tell them everybody is welcomed here. We're gonna throw the doors open for you and you can come right on in and you can play all day. But my hope is that we give them grace and peace. That's my hope. And so Paul says, shalom. Now, which means literally peace unto you. What a beautiful saying. The problem with Judaism was that there was no peace. You know why, right? Because Jews had to obey the law that they thought God was putting them under. Jews had this weight of the law, and and when they thought they got it right, when they thought they got perfection going on, when they made all the requirements of the law, somebody was there to smack them down and say, no, you don't got it right yet. And so there was never peace because you had to please God through works. Pause. Anybody in the room ever get it right all the time? No! And so you never have peace with God. But he says... You ain't heard of Tupperware yet. Because in there, there is grace and there is peace to you. It's a hope of glory, friends. Hope of anything good. Now listen, this is what happens next. This is incredible. Verse three, uh, three through five. Let me just read this for you. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. So verse three is very, very simple. Um, Paul is thinking of this little church and he goes, that's beautiful. Man, man. When I think of you, I think God is doing some great stuff. Pause for a second. I don't mean for this to sound self-seeking in any way. But when you think of your little church, does it bring a smile to your face? I mean, does, does it cause feelings inside of you that says, man, I just thank God. I just thank God for that place because that's what we want. We want people to come in here and we want them to find God and we want it to stir something in them that they, that they go, man, I am willing to serve this place. I am willing to sacrifice for this place. I'm willing to give toward this place. I'm willing to make this happen because of the feelings that I get in my relationship with God is, is made right through this place, not through us, but through Jesus, but in this place. The church is meant to be a beautiful thing. That's why we work together, and that's why we give together. That's why we serve together. That's why I never, ever, ever, ever am afraid to ask you to get off, get up, and start serving. <laughs> it's the church is the hope of the world. We carry the grace and peace of God to the world. That's our mission. And so Paul, he says that, man, when I think of you, it's, it's just all good. Um, but then he begins to get around three little words that are very familiar to most Christians. Faith, hope, and love. Did you notice that, Mary? He used that faith, hope, and love multiple times. And now what do we call Metro? We say we are a community of? Oh, you guys, listen, it's on the front doors when you walk in. It's above your head. You can't miss it. What are we, a community of? Faith, hope, and love. That's what we're about. That's what we're tra- trying to create here. And, and so why, why faith? Because let me tell you, faith is the starting point in your relationship with God. It is what connects you to God. And I get it. There are some people in this room, you're skeptical, you're a doubter, you're like a thinker and you want to think everything through. And listen, I think all that is fine. I think all that is fair. I think all that is good. You can, you can ask all the questions you want. 
But I don't think I'm dumb. And I don't think I'm naive when it comes to issues of faith and issues of God and issues of, uh, of the Bible and all that. I, I, I'm a thinker. I love to study this stuff. I've, I've spent my lifetime studying this stuff. I think it is very important to study this stuff, to answer questions. Let me tell you something. If you're a doubter, if you're a skeptic in this room, I, I think there are reasonable answers to every question you might have. Amen. Every question you might have. I really do believe there are reasonable responses to it. But at the end of the day, all faith systems require faith. All belief systems require faith. All of them. So listen, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, it requires faith either way. Oh, no, no, no. If I don't believe in God, it doesn't require faith. Oh, bull. It does require a ton of faith. I think it requires more faith not to believe than it does to believe. So how do you like that? I really think it's true, right? You have to have faith at the end of the day that your thinking is right about eternity. It requires faith. And so faith is this starting point in our relationship with God. It is the moving point forward relationship with God type of thing. It's where, it's like the moment we decide to get in there, things start to move in our life. Listen, faith is what bonds us together in this room right now. This is why you can come into a room full of strangers and feel love. It's because of faith. Uh, faith is why we pool our resources. Faith is why we serve each other. Faith is why we're generous toward each other. Faith is why we sacrifice toward one another. It's because faith is what binds us in Christ. It, it's what puts us in there. Faith. It's the starting. Then he says, faith, hope, right? Why hope? Because, listen, we talk a lot about this. That it, like, if you put hope in, in the surface things of life, what you buy, what you achieve, what, what you look like, uh, what your, your new whatever, your new whatever, your new whatever, if you do that, it will fade away. And the thing that you put your hope in will shift, it will change. But he says, your hope for anything good in life is not because of just what's in this world. It's okay to have good hope in this world, it's okay. But he says, if that's what you're really banking on, mm, you better look eternal. You better look for something deeper and better and longer lasting than that because everything in this world shifts, everything. Y'all with me on this? So he says faith matters. He says hope matters. You put your eyes on, on heaven. He says hope matters. And then he says love matters. Why love? Listen, because, because faith is this picture of our vertical relationship with God. Do you understand this? It is your relationship with God. Your faith determines your relationship with God. But love, listen, love is our horizontal relationship with one another. It determines your relationship with one another. It determines how you express your faith in the world. And so he says, he says love really does matter. Our love in the Christian church is our, it's an, it's an outward expression of our inward transformation. Love is how we show the world that this is happening in us. That this is real in us. Love, the way we love one another and we love the community around us and the world around us, the way that our heart breaks for the things that God breaks over determines or shows the world that there's a real inward transformation happening inside of us. So friends, listen, when people come into our church, when they come into our Generation City gatherings, when they come into our life groups, when they come into Renew, when they come into anywhere that our church is involved with, they ought to be walking into a love fest. They ought to be walking into a place where there is this like divine love that is inescapable. They, they ought to walk in and go, what is going on here? This is just flat out weird because, listen, our church ought to reek 
I mean, reek of compassion and sacrifice and kindness and gentleness and equality and acceptance because that is what the love of God looks like. Jay, that was so good. You might need to say that again. Let me tell you something. I will say it again. Our church ought to stink like the love of God. It ought to smell from the moment they walk in. It ought to reek with compassion and kindness and sacrifice and gentleness and equality and acceptance because that is what the love of God looks like. And we've got to figure this out. And so Paul says faith, hope, and love really do matter. He's, what's he doing, friends? What's he doing to this young church like us? He's saying you better start growing these things. He's saying there's, there's some expectations coming your way. You better step up to some of these things. You better start making this happen. Do it. All right, here's what he says, verse nine. We're gonna skip down a couple verses. He says this, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is an incredibly important verse. He's saying you ought to be taking your next steps. You ought to be growing He's saying, listen, the problem with so many Christians, and it's the same thing today, is that we look around the world and we look at the wisdom of the world, we look at the actions of the world, we look at the thoughts of the world, we look at the deeds of the world, and we say, hey, that doesn't look so bad. And slowly we become just like the world, and we start adopting the thoughts and the attitudes and the actions of the world. And Paul says, that's not where you're going to grow. Paul says you need to grow in your relationship with God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom that comes from God, not the wisdom of this world, because the wisdom of this world leads to this thing called sin. And the root of our life, the anchor of our life, has got to be God and his word. And so Paul just puts this expectation out there, and then he does something crazy. He begins like this prayer, and like we talked about in the video a little bit, it's like a mock sort of a prayer. It's not even a real kind of a prayer. He's basically saying, hey, y'all, I'm expecting some things out of you because God is expecting some things out of you and some things you gotta work on. And he begins to pray this prayer. I'm gonna just read it again to you because you might have missed it earlier. It's this. He says this, starting in verse 10. He says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So he's saying, listen, this is what I'm praying, that you live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him, say this phrase, in every way. In every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in your knowledge of God, being strengthened with all of the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of all the saints in the kingdom of light. So Paul says, and I say to you today, that, that if you bear the name of Christ, and I don't know that you do, but, but if this is what you want for your life, then it is fair of God to put some expectations on us. It is fair of God to demand certain things of us. And I get it, the world doesn't want that, and I, I, I don't know what you're gonna think of this. But God has the right, if you bear his name, to expect certain things from me and from you. And so I just jotted a few of them down. I just kind of took the text and this is what I think God told me from it. And I know it sounds weird to say like this. You may want to write these down. This is what I think that our church needs to, to work on, to become. And the first one is very simple is that uh, we need to make Jesus look good. 
I mean, we, we just need to make Jesus look good. I mean, the whole world knows that Jesus is famous. I mean, the whole world basically knows who he is and what he's about. The whole world knows he talks about love and grace and forgiveness and kindness and faithfulness and peacemaking and all those things, holiness and purity, all of that kind of stuff. The whole world knows it. But when they look at us, they're confused. They go, wait, wait, I thought you were in there somewhere. But they look at you and they look at me and they go, what's going on? Because I know what Jesus says, but I know what you do. And they're not the same. And the world looks at us and they think we're hypocrites. And Paul says, listen, you got to make Jesus look good. It says that you got to live a life worthy of his name. Not just singing about it. You got to live a life that's worthy of his name, reflecting his name, reflecting the goodness and the holiness of God. He calls you faithful and holy brothers and sisters. Live up to that. Here's the next thing I wrote down. It's that we, we ought to be an in every way Christian. I know it's hard to say. It's even harder to live out. We ought to be an in every way Christian. Here's what happens in my life and probably in your life is that there's a whole bunch of ways that you're like growing and you're like, woo, I'm getting this right. And then we go, everybody take a look at this. Check this out. <laughs> I got this down. So we can walk into church. We know how to sing. We know how to do certain things. Even in our family lives, there's certain things that we, you know, we want people to see about us, right? But he says in every way. That means in the secret places of our life, in the dark places of our life. Listen, what happens between you and your phone? What happens between you and the internet? He says, in every way, reflect him to the world. In every way, please him. What happens with you in, in your home, between you and your husband, you and your wife, you and your kids, the way that you act at work when nobody at church is seeing you? We ought to be in every way Christians. In every area of our life, we say, God, I'm an open book. I want to become more like you in every way of my life. Amen? Amen. That's tough. But that's the expectation of where we need to grow into. We really do. Here's the next one I wrote down, and this is going to be kind of weird, but I think we ought to be fruity. I don't mean fruit loops. I mean, listen, there's a lot of weird stuff Christians do, and there's probably some stuff that I do that's just weird. I'm not talking about being a fruit loop. I'm talking about being fruity. That Paul says, it is expected that you grow. It is expected that I grow. It is unacceptable to come into these seats year after year after year and to remain the same person you've always been. It is unacceptable to not grow in our generosity, not go, grow in our serving, not grow in our sacrifice, not grow in our love, not grow in our capacity to reach other people. It is unacceptable in the body of Christ. If you're in there, you gotta be a little fruity. The Bible talks about bearing fruit in your life. You know what that's talking about, right? Bearing fruit. What, what does the Bible say about the fruits of the Spirit? It says they are, they are things like love. Anybody know this? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Self-control, NIV version. You, you see what I'm saying? 
It says that these things are expected of you. It says, I pray that you bear good fruit. Bear it. Grow into it. When we, when we offer our next step sessions, everybody should be there. Everybody. We should like, oh my gosh, where, where are we going to put all these people? We should want to grow our soul. Okay, here, here's one more, just one more real quick, is that I wrote down this, when I read this, I was like, wow, you and me, we ought to make it to the end. We ought to make it to the end. Listen, I've been doing this pastoring thing, this Christian thing for a long time now. And there have been people sitting in these seats that I just, man, I'm thinking that, man, God is using them in such huge ways and there's so much good going on. Then all of a sudden, there's just a fall in their life. They walk away. Something dies in their soul. Maybe you've experienced this where you grew, 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 and you're moving, 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 and all of a sudden something dies in your soul, and you got to fight to get it back. Paul says that we should live with this fight for endurance in our life, that it should be purposeful. We should get around the right places and the right things and the right people all the time. This is why this gathering is so important. This is why my family prioritizes church because it's important for us to sit together and grow together and worship together and learn and eat from God's word together. It's critical. We ought to make it to the end. Perseverance. It matters. Now, now, uh, I want to share a little story that comes from uh, the legends of Alexander the Great. Now, I don't know if you know who Alexander the Great is. He was um, the uniter of the Grecian empires, and uh, he lived about 300 BC before Christ, and he was considered a fierce warrior and an incredible leader. One of the things that he would say is that, I would rather um, lead an army of sheep of sheep but led by a lion. I'd rather face an army of sheep uh, that is, no, excuse me, I'd rather be in an army of sheep led by a lion than to be in an army of lions led by a sheep. So he, he believed in leadership. He believed in order. He believed in, um, you know, just doing the right things in order to build an empire, and he was ruthless about it. And so there's a story that comes from his life that says one day he was out um, walking the terrace of his palatial estate and he's overseeing all that his hands had built and kind of enjoying the favor of it all. And it's late at night. And as he's walking the corridors, he notices that one of his guards, one of his centurions had literally fallen asleep. A young man had fallen asleep on the job. And this was completely completely unacceptable for Alexander the Great. Anybody knows history knows that this would not fly with Alexander. And so he had the young man arrested, um, imprisoned, beat the whole nine yards, and eventually they bring him in before Alexander for a trial. And essentially the trial was reading of the charges and the sentencing to death. And so as this young boy was brought in before Alexander, um, the charges are being read and Alexander, with all of his pomp and all of his authority, is sitting on the great throne of, of the Greek Empire, and he's looking over this whole situation. And, and before the sentence was read to the boy, he interrupts the reader, and he says, Young man, what is your name? And the boy, he was so scared. He was shaking like a leaf. He could barely get the word out. But he says, Alexander, Alexander. And, and this actually kind of, you know, 
upset the king because he couldn't hear. And he's, he says, young man, I am speaking to you. When I speak, you do what I say. And I am asking you, what is your name? And the young man with all the strength that he had, he looks up into the face of Alexander the Great and he says, my name is Alexander, sir. My name is like yours. And with that, Alexander the Great, he literally flew into the rage. They wrote that he just came off of his throne enraged like fire and he's screaming at this young man, screaming at him. And one of the things that was recorded was this. He says, you either change your name or you change your conduct. You either change your conduct or you change your name, but you will not bear my name like this. Friends, many of us have come to this point where we say we bear the name of Christ, where we've taken the name of Jesus on freely. We identify with it. And Paul comes along to the church like ours and he says, you either change your conduct or change your name because you can't go on like this because the whole world is looking on and you're not living a life that's worthy of the name that's been given to you. Now listen, God knows we need to grow. God doesn't expect perfection. I don't think so. But he expects a heart that is fully devoted, that is real, and that wants to make him look good, that wants to be an in every way sort of a Christian who wants to bear fruit or to be fruity. This is what he wants from us. This should be normal for us to want to grow and take our next steps. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we study your word together today, um, uh, God, I just pray that your spirit would have spoken. Nobody needs to hear from me. God, may your word come to rest on our soul. Um, God, would you shape us? For those of us who claim your name uh, there are some things in our life we would have to admit. We don't want to live in secret, God. There are some things that we'd have to admit that, that need to change. So God, would you do a work inside of us? God, that is our only hope. That is our only hope. You in us. Speak to us, God. May your spirit come to rest on us. May the spirit of grace empower us to change. May the spirit of peace give us, give us this ongoing relationship. Give us peace in our soul that we are made right with you. God, do a work in Jesus' strong name, the only name worth praying in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, y'all good?